0: Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Adventure, pioneering, frontier cycling, all words that are hugely overused within the cycling media. But today I'm delighted to be joined by Shannon Buffton. Shannon is the founder of Cirque Cycling and he can legitimately lay claim to all of those things. Cirque pride themselves on genuine frontier cycling. They run trips to the Himalayas, to Kyrgyzstan, North Korea and many other fascinating destinations where you can seek genuine travel, amazing cycling and a fantastic experience off the bike as well. He's also got a very well regarded titanium business selling three different frames that are going from strength to strength. And we have a brilliant chat around, well, all of these things, China, and a whole lot more. So without further ado, let me bring you Shannon Buffton. Shannon, great to catch up. How
1: are you? I'm well, thanks. Sitting here already in uh, sweltering Beijing in the office. We should be outside riding my bike, but good, thanks.
0: Sorry, I've kept you from getting out. Are you in, You're in the city. Are you not up in the mountains at the moment?
1: No, right here um, in the uh, in the city center mountains are in the distance far away unfortunately
0: no we got loads to cover today so it'd be good to, to crack on but i wanted to kick things off by asking you directly what what do you think you're most infamous or famous for is it being the pioneer of the everesting everest movement or famously dressing as a panda at the 2014
1: tour of beijing oh that's a that's a good question i think probably there's the most photos of me uh, in the panda suit yeah uh, yeah i've got uh Got a fair few of those with a few riders and podium girls and uh, bottles of champagne. So that one's been all over the internet. No one knows. I do. You do now. Well, the whole podcast knows.
0: The whole podcast. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you you were in the Middle East before you got to, to Beijing, weren't you? When did you get, actually uh, land in Beijing? 2009, just after
1: the Olympics. Prior to that, I was um, in the Middle East for a couple of years and before that in Shanghai also for a couple of years. But Beijing since 2009.
0: Okay. And how did the whole tour of Beijing come about? The, the panda um, dressing.
1: It was well I the UCI um announced that they wanted to have a pro tour race in, in China and I immediately got on to the race director Alain Rump who was pretty prominent on um on Twitter back then and and contacted him and said, "Hey, I'm here in Beijing. There's lots of cool cycling stuff happening. How about we catch up and we talk a bit about what's going on with the race and how we could in- involve the local community. And from there, I got a job working uh, with the media side of the race, and yeah, did that for a couple of years. And then the the panda kind of came up famously from from Dan Martin when he was at the liege bastogne and a panda jumped out and spurred him on to uh, take the win. Oh great,
0: of course,
1: yes. and um, that was. That was at the same time where we were thinking about how to make the Tour of Beijing a little bit more humane and interesting for fans. So we saw that picture of the panda and went, hey, you know, that panda is uh, Chinese. It should be at the Tour of Beijing. There was an official mascot the race, but it looked like a kind of, it looked like a sperm, actually. It wasn't the best of mascots. So we sort of, um, we sort of crashed the party with the panda. We just, no one knew who it was. Uh, we just had a lot of fun with the riders. And we had a special event called the Panda of the Mountain. Where the first rider across this um, line sprayed across the road, the whole team won uh, a night of uh, beer at our bar after the tour. So wow. it was the um, it was the last race of the season. So the riders actually went pretty crazy. The panel was just a whole heap of fun.
0: Yeah, a lot of fun. As I mentioned in the in the introduction, it's it's hard to know how to describe you other than i suppose a, a pioneer for for cycling in china or certainly letting the rest of the world know about it but you you've got a, you've had a bike shop you've done you do sort of adventure tours you've now got a a, a growing and well very well regarded uh, titanium frame business that where, where should we start from the beginning like how how did you start the cycling scene in china how did that all come about
1: yeah well it, it started um with my previous career i was i'm an architect by training and i was working in china and the middle east as an urban planner and when the financial crisis hit in yeah, 2009 my wife and i decided we'd had enough of the corporate world and wanted to do yeah. something that was more lifestyle oriented yeah. so we went back um beijing and um on the way we we Spent a couple of months traveling around Europe and saw the re- uh, revival of the bicycle in, in the cities as an urban transportation vehicle. Okay. And having, having known Beijing, we knew that um, Beijing was once a city of bicycles and okay. that there was a lot of interesting cycling culture here. So my wife is, um, is uh, from Beijing and also been a, a lifetime cyclist. So we came back to Beijing and we started doing urban research about the old Chinese bicycle culture and we started up the first bicycle NGO in China called Smarter Than Car and we yeah, we, we did talks at universities, online. I went to the World Congress of Architects in Tokyo and Lehman went to Valo City, the World Congress on bicycles and cities in Vienna and we talked about the uniqueness of Beijing's bike culture and how the rest of the world can learn from how a city once completely moved Pretty much by bike so you know back then there were things like bicycle ambulances uh you could get your teeth changed from the back of a bicycle if you bought a new um fridge or oven for home you bought it home on a tricycle or a bicycle the whole city moved by by bike and it was super interesting all the kinds of uh, bicycle lifestyles that there were here during the uh, late 80s and early 90s so That's
0: fascinating and 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 no more i mean so relevant given what the world's going through at the moment, the, the movement to using the bike to, to move around a city and obviously that perking your interest coming from a sort of planning background. I mean, ho- hopefully we're going to see more and more cycling all around the world at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's there's already lots of uh, news reports out on the uptick in cycling. And, you know, for mobility, you just can't beat it. Uh, for, for mental health, you can't beat it. For you know, in terms of footprint, from an environmental point of view, it's also fantastic. Uh, it just makes a lot of sense. And sometimes you need a, a disruptor like this COVID-19 to force people to get out there and start using it. And then it's easy for people then to see the benefits of riding a bike. So I think we will see um, a legacy move towards the bicycle across uh, across cities thanks to this um, to this crisis.
0: So how, how did you go from the NGO into to sort of setting Circ Cycling up? And was that originally yeah, yeah. the shop, or was that the touring, or how did it, how, it how did started, it sort of?
1: Well, it started because we um we we needed to earn an income. We applied yeah. for all this funding to to run the NGO. Um, it was difficult for us to get money to research bicycles in in China. No one seemed interested in supporting that type of work. So we also noticed at the same time that the kind of burgeoning middle class in China was starting to become interested in high quality high-end uh, recreational uh, carbon fiber bikes and so we just started selling the frames from swift carbon when that brand started out many years ago uh, as a kind of side gig to earn money to, to fund our sort of research projects so we, we started building and selling bikes out of our apartment and realized that um that that was uh wasn't a, a bad way to earn an income and from there we set up the first bike bar cafe and bike shop in asia that was sort of supposed to be a a hub for um urban cycling and recreational cycling it was a really nice architect design space and yeah from there we started off our first official kind of bike shop and and then since then we've continued to uh to sell bikes and focus on
0: the recreational side of things And that's amazing so what, what year are we talking about when when you set this up
1: we set up that uh that cafe in 2011
0: wow so that that really is sort of yeah before the curve really sort of pioneering pioneering yeah. it and I, I've i been very fortunate to come to Beijing and um, and cycle with you, you very kindly taking me out and some friends out on, on a bit of a trip it's an amazing place I think it's so easy and speaking to your wife actually I didn't quite realize how recent the the dramatic growth in Beijing was it wasn't till the sort of late 90s that the city really grew so dramatically but tell everyone a little bit about what kind of cycling is is on offer in the city and just outside the city itself
1: in in the city itself there's i mean the urban sprawl uh is is pretty pretty large i mean for for an asian city it's a big city it's a city of 20 million people but in terms of its urban sprawl compared to many western cities the footprint is not so huge so within 30 kilometers of the city center you get to the outskirts where you're into the countryside and uh, on three sides of beijing uh, there are mountains that go on for a long way you know in the north all the way to inner mongolia so there is absolutely amazing cycling terrain on the outskirts of the city and i usually say to people i've been riding here for over 10 years and i still haven't ridden every road out there in the mountains i still have a list on my riding gps of of roads to explore when i have the time um the roads are just absolutely endless
0: so and they're it, immaculate as well that's the thing that you know i'm not saying that I don't, I don't trust you obviously we've been in contact before that and i kind of knew that it was going to be amazing but it's not until you see it uh, that you quite appreciate just how amazing it is if that makes any sense just the the vastness and the, and the beauty of the mountains, you know, and quite different. The mountains to the north are quite quite different to the mountains to the, the southwest in terms of topography and feel. It's got so much to offer, hasn't it?
1: It has. I remember during the Tour of Beijing that um, I was working with, uh, with Dan Martin when he was uh, there with Team Garmin Sharp. And they were saying that they've ridden and trained all around the world and that they were just blown away by the quality of the cycling in Beijing. And yeah. if it was closer to their base in Europe, they would definitely come here for a training camp. Really? Um, and these are, you know, these are riders who've, who've ridden all over the world on the world's best uh, best roads. So coming from them demonstrates, I guess, how, how good the, the terrain here is.
0: Yeah, to be fair, it doesn't surprise me at all, because not only is the terrain spectacular, uh, the roads are absolutely immaculate they're like cycling on perfect brand new roads and also super quiet i mean i don't think we ever really saw a car for a lot of the rides that we did maybe the odd you know motorbike with chickens on the back but not not many cars or buses or anything like that so it's it's really serene and very quiet and so bizarre to think you're just a short hop from one of the you know busiest urban dense cities in the world it's amazing
1: yep i think it's also i mean that that contrast between Uh, what you expect Beijing to be in terms of a crazy, busy city and then the complete serenity you get out in the mountains only, you know, 40, 50 kilometres away. That that contrast, which also helps make it feel, I think, uh, so much more exciting here. Uh, Yeah. But it is... uh, it is great.
0: And you were telling me, because uh, I think, again, another sort of global perception of Beijing, probably from the Olympics, is is sort of horrific air quality. They've made incredible strides very quickly in the last few years around that, haven't they? The air's really imp- improved.
1: Absolutely. The, all of the, the factories that were creating pollution have all been moved outside of Beijing province. There's a, there's a lot of uh, move towards electrified vehicles, Um, you know, buses, private cars. The quality of the, the machinery that's used for the heating is also improving them, moving from coal to gas. So to give you an example, so far this year, we haven't turned on our air purifier once, whereas, you know, five years ago, there would be the one day or two days a year you wouldn't have it on. So the air quality has improved significantly
0: incredible change and one of the things i didn't realize until i last flew in i remember flying into the airport and just seeing like huge amounts of sort of ground sort of plastic and I, i'm thinking wow is that some sort of farming or strawberries or something like that and you were saying that. I didn't quite appreciate how dry Beijing is, but I I know you've got cold in, in, in the, very cold in the winter and very hot in the summer, but constantly dry. So a lot of the construction kicked up a lot of dust, which was really adding to the air quality problem. And they've really sort of addressed that as well, right? That's
1: right. Yeah, that plastic that you see from the air is to, to cover the, the dusty ground to make sure that the soil stays undercover and doesn't get whipped up into the wind and into the air. So, yeah, they do... Beijing is pretty pretty renowned for doing all sorts of crazy stuff to control whatever, weather, air quality. When they want to do it, they, they do it pretty seriously.
0: <laughs> that's it when they want to do something they do it very quickly cool so obviously i know that the travel a lot of your tours are being cancelled this year but it's so fascinating some of the places obviously china is a massive country and and you've explored a lot of it i know that we want to get on to other topics but i'd love you just to tell everyone a little bit about some of the areas you you run trips or have have run trips and hope to do trips again in the future and, and what's an offer because the diversity across china is just staggering so Give us your sort of top top few tips, uh, top few destinations and, and why they are so outstanding.
1: Sure. Well, our, our concept is um, is pretty simple. It's it's frontier cycling. So we, um, we are kind of always seeking out those locations that you might not have heard of or um, no one's latest driver track yet. So we actually, it was, was Lehman, my wife, who was pushing me many years ago to go and explore China. And I was like, ah. Yeah, I'm not sure there's going to be that much out there. And then uh, we we went out and explored, and I was completely blown away by the variety of the terrain and the just sheer amazingness of the of the nature. So we um i think most well known um, and the biggest well wow factor uh, trip is our trip that goes to Everest base camp yeah a couple of years ago they they paved the road into Everest base camp so now you can ride your road bike all the way through uh tibet all the way to the base Everest base camp on smooth lush tarmac which is just amazing and the the kind of spiritual journey that you go on uh to to the base of you know the mother of all mountains uh, on your bike is breathtaking and the moment that you uh you come around the corner where you first glimpse that side of everest it's just it's really emotional time and just an amazing moment to have on the bike quite so awe-inspiring
0: and again something quite hard to articulate in a podcast would you be able to share the So now you did that wonderful video the first time you tried the everstring with cycling tips and obviously you, they captured that sort of moment the first time you saw Everest on there really well. Would you be able to share the link for that so we can post it in the show notes? I highly recommend anyone to have a watch of that and, and any other sort of links you've got with regards to that particular trip because it just looks magnificent.
1: Yeah I'm, I'm happy to, to share that. So Tibet and Everest I think are at the top of the list and many riders that we've taken to to Everest Base Camp, put that on the top of their global list in terms of places to to ride through. Then, um, sorry, also, sorry Sean,
0: just to, just to interject very quickly there, what what's the timing window for a, for a trip to Everest? Because I'm sure it's not an all year round cycling destination.
1: Yeah, usually it's early May through to mid October. uh oh, wow. it's the season you can go. I mean, you you can expect a little bit of snow in May, and also you can get snow in September but uh, usually the snowstorms are only at high elevation and uh, reasonably short, so you can still uh, still ride through.
0: Wow, I didn't realise this. That's actually quite a big window, isn't it? It is, yeah. So,
1: um, yeah, the other locations that we've ridden in China, we've ridden in Sichuan, which is province next to Tibet, and it's part of the old territory of Tibet. Uh, that's also spectacular. All yeah. pretty high elevation, over 3,000 metres, amazing rivers green mountains uh, grasslands and, and tibetan culture but there you have um you have a little bit more accessibility uh, it's less restricted than um, the tibetan autonomous region and the hotels okay. are a bit better it's a little bit um easier to get around we've also ridden in xinjiang um, which is the westernmost province of uh of china
0: okay. and
1: um, we've ridden right up to the kazakh uh, border okay. they are is again spectacular it's it's drier there you know you have you have landscape that ranges from moonscape through to lush forests that look a lot like the european alps when you get up uh, higher into the mountains and again it's a whole other culture there uh you've got the the culture um you feel more more like you're in the middle east there than you do Feel like you're in China, but on top of that, you also have the, the good quality Chinese roads and hotels and infrastructure. So, Amazing. Xinjiang is is a great place to explore by bike. Yeah, and then this year we were supposed to do the first road cycling tour in North Korea. Oh wow! Apparently that's uh that's off until the next I year. I didn't get that. Could you try again? Oh, sorry. That, was that you that. or me? That was me.
0: <laughs> oh, wow! Big brother's listening.
1: Big brother's listening, when you mention North Korea, Siri, Siri uh, perks up. So, yeah, North Korea was has uh, been on our radar for a while and um, our good friends at Koro Tours, that are also based here in Beijing, they uh, negotiated access for road cyclists to, to get in there.
0: Amazing. Uh, have they done any recce, or have you done any recce trips out there? I'd be fascinated to know what it's like in North Korea.
1: Yeah, I actually haven't done the recce trips um, myself, but one of the members of our partner organization is a cyclist and he's uh he's been out there and ridden the, the route and uh documented it so yeah unfortunately i haven't had a chance to go out there
0: wow but yeah that sounds and and will you look to depending on the the, the world situation look at that north korea trip again next year
1: yeah yeah that's the yeah. uh that's the plan so that trip um also included uh riding on some roads that have Never been ridden on before. It was the original plan was to do it in conjunction with an anniversary for North Korea, and so uh, we were going to be granted special access to some areas of Mount pektu which is the sacred mountain, supposedly the birthplace of the North Korean people. Uh, So we were going to do a little bit of gravel slash broken up tarmac riding there, high into the mountains, which would be pretty, pretty interesting. So yeah, look out for that um, that trip next year. I think we're we'll, we're still negotiating on when we will do it next year, but uh, they're pretty keen to to make it happen.
0: Yeah, that really is frontier. Frontier cycling, the the lengths people will go to get a Strava KOM, hey. Yes, and what? just generally, you mentioned the the sort of up the high mountains. It's it's sort of gravel and and broken up tarmac. What are the reports around infrastructure elsewhere in North Korea? That are the roads pretty good? Accommodation? How would it all work?
1: Accommodation will be pretty pretty basic. The roads are okay. Yeah. We're suggesting that people bring. A bike with at least 30 seat tires, so you know the, the road condition is pretty similar to what you would have seen in China maybe 10 or 15 years ago. So concrete roads that are pretty rough, but um, but rideable, and there's bits and bits and pieces of new infrastructure there as well, which are, which would be nice to ride on, but mostly pretty uh pretty rough that's part yeah and
0: again please please do share all the links so we can um so people can find information around around these trips won't you and now now i don't i don't know if we're we're allowed to mention it but i mentioned offline you mentioned offline there are are rumors of potentially a new event next year that you're looking into
1: yeah that's right um well we're actually thinking about doing it later this year oh brilliant Um, Again, it's, um, it's in response to the COVID-19 situation. We are we're planning to do an ultra-endurance bikepacking race uh, in, in the Himalayas, in the area that we do our, uh, we do our trips. Again, you know, the Himalayas has such mystique. It's such an amazing playground for adventure. So we thought it would be, and it's also extreme, we thought it would be a great place to run a hardcore self-supported race.
0: Yeah, amazing. Uh,
1: and this year, because we're, it looks like we'll probably be stuck within China for the whole or most of the year. So there's a lot of riders who had planned uh, to go to Europe or other parts of Asia uh, for trips and are now uh, stuck here in China. So it gives us all a chance to focus on, a, on an event and uh, go out and get training, get training and do some adventure in the backyard. So,
0: it sounds like the, the final details are, are still being finalised, but give me some rough stats. I mean, just being in the Himalayas, generally, altitude is high. What is it from point where to point where? What's what's the general idea of the event? The
1: the general idea is we'll, we're looking at around about 1,800 kilometres. We're going to start a little bit down at a lower altitude in Yunnan province and then ride Right up along the, the border between Yunnan and Tibet into Sichuan and then through the really high mountains in Sichuan, so um, up uh, up above 5,000 metres for a little bit. And then uh, a couple of years ago, some mates and I did a, a 10-day bikepacking adventure in really remote off-road communities in Sichuan. So the plan is to take the route, the race route through that area, uh, which is going to be very challenging. It's, uh, there's, there's not many supply points. The road is, uh, there's bits of it you'll have to hike. There's high altitude, again, up to 5,000 meters, some crazy river crossings, and some really big climbs. So wow. that's the bit that excites me the most
0: yeah that sounds like an ultra ultra um endurance what an amazing event and that's yeah wow it's um a lot to think about in terms of how you prepare and how you survive an event like that incredible
1: yeah so it probably we'll, we'll probably end up being um maybe i think we're around about one third off road two thirds on road okay. and uh, two thirds of it would be in reasonable going through regular towns and one third would be extremely remote
0: so yeah. it'll be a challenging one to to kid up for and you're thinking September for this? Did I get that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, okay, very good. And I mean, I wonder if there'll be any international travel by then, but if anyone is interested and is, is happy to take the risk, I suppose they can get in contact with you about finding out how they can get involved.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We should have a, a, a website up within the next couple of weeks. Right. So uh, yeah, you should be
0: seeing an announcement on that soon. Brilliant. And is is the plan for that to be like an annual event now?
1: Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think that the Himalaya region deserves a, an ultra endurance race. Um, yeah, I But, you know, as you know, there are many events around the world now and they're growing in popularity. So whether or not there'll be enough um, momentum to, to make it happen every year, we'll, we'll see, but we'd certainly like to see it uh, grow in the following years after this year.
0: Yeah, the ultimate human test. But I, I do, you know, we were chatting again offline. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I, I I think that, in fact, I was speaking to Ryan Sears in the US last week and we had a similar conversation offline that potentially endurance races, bike packing, I think there's going to be an increased appetite in these kind of events post COVID-19 for a whole host of reasons. But it'll be interesting to see if that evolution continues from, from sort of along those lines, really.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah. Just uh, until this virus um, is under control with a, with a vaccine, I think we'll all be avoiding big group gatherings and these types of events allow you you know to be naturally socially distanced and um, they're a little bit easier to organize under the radar as well without um, you know having to you know, close off roads and set up barriers and all sorts of things like that that are very yeah. difficult to do in in times of uncertainty
0: yeah no i totally appreciate that but there's also i think a bit of a movement to sort of back to nature back to basics exploration solitude all these things sort of tie in with these kind of events and i think there is certainly a lot of people thinking or being more drawn to these types of events and will continue to to be so in the coming years absolutely good now next <laughs> going about this all day are we have i missed any destinations off that, that people should be aware of or can, i'm, I'm oh, desperately yeah. desperately keen to talk to you about um your your frames and and how that business is evolving and growing
1: sure well, i guess we could lead in a little bit with a bit about our gravel adventures which uh, we've been doing for the last couple of years in kyrgyzstan which if you haven't uh, heard about, the amazing off-road riding in Kyrgyzstan, and get on the internet now and start uh, searching. It's heaven for, for gravel adventure riding, bikepacking. It's a great uh, destination.
0: Kyrgyzstan. Okay, so, so how, help me, where, where exactly is Kyrgyzstan? Yeah, it's in Central Asia. It borders Kazakhstan and China
1: and Tajikistan. Okay. Uh, so it's a pretty poor Central Asian country. It's got... I think eighty percent of the country is mountainous. It's got lots of water resources. It's a nomadic community. Uh, so Bishkek is the the capital, which is reasonably built up. But once you get outside the borders of Bishkek, it's it's pretty um, pretty quiet and uh, not that much infrastructure that's paved. Lots of dirt roads. Lots of nomadic communities. Horses wild animals we, Wild animals. We, uh,
0: anything to worry about <laughs> um
1: yeah not really nothing that we've come across yet but there's supposedly wolves out there and okay. uh, the locals will tell you that every now and then someone's child gets eaten by a wolf but i'm not sure whether that's true or an old wives' tale so
0: so how how did you come across Kyrgyzstan? the gravel roads there and how would a what what does a trip look like for someone that's interested in doing one
1: uh, again that was um from our exploring uh in China, we went to the edge of, of Xinjiang and uh, when you're there at the edge, you see this huge mountain range rising in the distance. And, and you look on the map and all the roads kind of stop at the Chinese border and sort of disappear into into Kyrgyzstan. And we thought, wow, I wonder what it's like on the other side of that mountain range, what the riding there is like. So you know, a couple of years ago, I reached out to cycling tips and said to them let's go and uh, ride in this area before um before it starts getting developed and let's you know a bikepacking adventure there and they jumped on it and um we did uh another adventure with them there which you can check out on their uh on their website called the silk road the price of progress
0: oh we'll put that in the show notes as well it's a some unbelievable photography in that article isn't there
1: there is yeah i mean the the scenery there is just amazing so uh you can't can't take a bad photo in that location but the um, photographer is also amazing. I mean, we had um, Tim was our photographer who's the main site and photographer who does just a fantastic job. He's a genius.
0: And and the tours that you do there, are they kind of bespoke to what the client wants or do you sort of run tours that people can join and yeah, how long are run, what they like?
1: We run a seven-day uh, seven, seven day tour there that we do two each year and that involves some camping, um, some staying in hotels, there. They're fully catered. It's it's a little bit like a glamping bike trip. So the riding is the riding is pretty tough. It's off road, but um, by the time we get to campsite, your camp is set up, the cook is cooking dinner, and you can relax with a couple of beers and then pass out into your tent. Wake up in the morning and ride again. So we make the the, the whole experience of traveling in those really remote regions uh, reasonably comfortable. It's yeah. still still very adventurous, but um, yeah. Crew there to make sure it's uh, all, all the horrible stuff is taken care of, the cooking and setting up tents and all that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, uh, and I can say although my trip was was less adventurous than Beijing, I have to say that just how Cirque looked after us during that trip was was second to none. It was uh, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, great hospitality, and just just makes the whole round the whole rounded experience fantastic.
1: That's good to hear. Thanks, thanks for those positive comments. So yeah, getting up with the, the titanium bikes. Um, yeah. It's going to, to link uh, the gravel riding back to our titanium bikes. Yeah. Because uh, we started doing gravel riding in remote parts of China in 2015. Yeah. And back then it was the early days of gravel bikes and there was nothing nothing available in China. So we decided to build our own. There's a fabulous titanium factory in Beijing that's um, been building bikes for, for 30 years, probably one of the factories in the world that's built the highest number of high-end titanium frames and uh, we went to them and started talking about a gravel bike and that's how our um, our foray into designing bikes for our frontier cycling trips came about
0: oh interesting so because it's been a, a, a process of evolution there's some quite interesting stories around the factory maybe you telling me but what where are you at now are you the development's finished. Your bikes are there to be bought online, global distribution. Talk us through what makes them good. Tell us the whole story.
1: Yeah, well, um, as I said, we started out uh, with a simple need of needing bikes for ourselves. And then oh, for your trips, for yeah. For our trips. And then we also realized that uh, the kinds of places that we were going were pretty extreme, and it would be nice to design bikes specifically for each of our trips. Yeah. So we have we now have three models: our pure pure road bike, which is a reasonably fast fast geometry. It's optimized around weight, so um, that bike is perfectly built for riding the smooth roads of of Beijing. And then we have a middle range bike, which is an all road bike uh, called the, the Captain, which takes up to thirty four C tires, so you can ride it off road. And on road, and that's the, uh, the perfect bike to take on our um, trips to to Everest and to the kind of frontiers where you're doing a little bit of mixed surface every now and then. Okay, and or, then- or to ride
0: on bumpy Surrey lanes in Southwest London. Yeah, frontier,
1: uh, frontier location. Yeah, okay, uh, fair enough. No, you can ride it there as well. <laughs> um, it's actually, you know, there, there's a trend now towards um, you know riding road bikes that are a lot more capable that can take bigger tires and having one bike that does it all. And this bike was uh, was designed
0: with that in mind. With that in mind, yeah. And no, I only jest. There's just we we have some tremendous potholes around here. That's why I uh, mention it.
1: And then the other bike in our range is um is the full on adventure bike, which uh, we've been we're now up to our second iteration on that. We've ridden the previous one a couple of years in Kyrgyzstan, and we're now modified it. And we're actually working on on the final graphics of that right at the moment. But the frame okay. design and it's been tested uh so that'll be coming out within the next um couple of months and we're super excited about that one
0: okay Uh, and what what makes that a little bit different in terms of geometry and and tire clearance what tires would you have on there it'll be a
1: 650b bike so it's more designed for off-road uh use yeah Yeah, we're going to run it with 650b by 47 tires Uh, it's got lots of mount points for attaching bags and gear and so on and uh we've tweak the geometry a little bit um, to make it more comfortable, it sits up a little bit higher, more specifically designed for the rigors of um, off-road
0: adventure riding. So you're, you're truly using your architectural background with these. And obviously for, for longer distance and endurance and gravel and, and all the disciplines that these frames are catered for, titanium is, is a fantastic material for that in terms of just rider comfort, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's It's great in in many ways i think the most obvious one is is in comfort just the way that it absorbs road buzz leaves you feeling less fatigued after the same amount of time on a bike compared to say carbon or aluminium it's also as a material it's pretty it's pretty bulletproof so we just had a rider come in today who uh, dropped his really nice bike against a pole if it had been a A carbon frame, there's a higher likelihood that it will crack. The titanium frame just got scratched and he brought it in and we got some scotch brite out and um, polished out the the scratch so now the frame just looks like new very good uh, and the other great thing about titanium are that that their bikes for life they the longevity of the material in the frame is amazing so yeah. uh, they're not going to they're not going to crack they're not going to corrode it's a bike that you'll be able to use for a very long time and uh, we think that's a much wiser uh, way to to deal with Uh, as a brand with um with the environment by having a a longer lasting higher quality bike instead of something that you you know throw out after five or ten years of use yeah
0: yeah it was interesting i actually um when i had the engineer alex thomas who you've met remember alex came with us to uh Beijing on he raised that point around just there's still a lot of unanswered questions around how you recycle carbon and that's going to become an increasingly interesting point i think
1: yeah and it's also the unknowns of carbon i mean if it's you know something's been been written for 20 or 30 years uh you don't really know if there are any hairline cracks there are you going to give it to your you know your young nephew or niece To ride as a training bike, you know, when you've been sweating on it on the trainer for the last five years. There's just so many unknowns around the material that uh, I think we're going to have a lot of carbon frames sitting around in 20 years' time that no one really knows what to do with.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, that that exactly. And and where just have where are you where are you selling the bikes? I mean, is it ma- domestic market? Do you sell overseas? How does that work? Do you have distributors? Can people buy online from your site? Uh, talk me through your market at the moment.
1: Yeah, well, we just the next phase of the brand for us uh, this year is to expand our distribution model. So, at the moment, you can buy directly from us from our our website we have a we have a dealer in singapore service core cycles uh, while i was in australia in the previous months um i've been working with some dealers and potentially a distributor there and the rest of the, the rest of our bikes are pretty much sold within um within domestic market in china
0: okay so, and to, you know, talk, talk about that domestic market you know you mentioned that I mean, you've really seen it from its infancy, really. Where, where is the domestic Chinese cycling market, both from a, a leisure, recreation and a, and a competitive standpoint at the moment?
1: It's it's growing very, very fast. I mean, I usually use the the number of bikes that I can count on the on the mountains on the weekend as my yardstick of how cycling is growing here. And I remember 10 years ago when we were riding in the mountains, it was just us foreigners and the occasional hardcore kind of touring cyclist. We would have the roads to ourselves now when you go out to the major climbs around beijing on a saturday you know on a on a climb within 50 kilometers of the city you'll be riding up and over the course of half an hour you probably count another 50 to to 80 cyclists going up or down Uh, so it's really it's really taking off in terms of the market um there's a lot of people a lot of people buying bikes but there's a lot of uh bike brands who are who are coming here? There are a lot of Chinese bike brands that are coming online that are doing a uh, really good product. Uh, so it's a difficult market to to operate in because the competition is so
0: uh, high. Yeah, and, 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 and would I, you say? I mean, do do Western brands still hold? quite a sort of status tag in China is there still big demand for, for Western brands in, in China domestically or, or are there are there other are domestic brands sort of really gathering momentum and, and if so which are the ones to look out for
1: uh, it's still it's still all about the, the Western brands so yeah. you know the Italian brands sell very well specialized is uh, is a really well selling brand here um, you know Pinarello, Lago there's lots and lots of bling bikes out there on the mountains. Um, the same thing that you probably remember from from hong kong and what you see in korea and thailand the high-end um, market always goes pretty well in in asia yeah and then the domestic brands there isn't one yet that's really got a a, a strong foothold that's definitely going to be the chinese trek or chinese Specialized. there's a whole bunch of them that over the years have sort of come and go come and gone with big um with a big hoo-ha and lots of money and great looking bikes and incredibly cheap prices and then they disappear after a couple of years so i mean it's still at the moment as a as a hobby it's still for the for the well-off and the well-off clients still want to ride on top of the range pinarello or specialized so that's where the market's at
0: and do you see the uptake of cycling as a leisure activity continuing to grow beyond just the upper classes or it's still still a wealthy sport at the moment
1: i've seen since the you know since this covid um, situation more and more people out on the streets just riding to work and avoiding the subway and being in congested spaces with others and i mean in, in general chinese people are pretty health conscious when they've got the time to to focus on it and a lot of my wife's friends are not hardcore cyclists but they still like to go out and exercise on a bike and yeah. they're starting to uh, get become interested in buying, you know, nice bikes to, to ride to work on and, and ride to a coffee or just ride for fun on the weekends. So it's starting to develop into more mainstream sport it still has a long long way to go
0: yeah i have to say that's been one of the best things about lockdown i've seen here and i've mentioned it on previous pods just the increased numbers um you know couples in their 60s out riding together it's just it is brilliant to see it's actually international world bike day today so well time that we have this this conversation there are um to, to, to your point saying that you've seen more people cycling to work uh, in Beijing that blows my mind because I, who was it the song the the song a billion bikes in Beijing do you know um, that
1: one yes i forgot the name of the artist
0: cuz i've never seen so many bikes in in one city it's it's quite it's quite um it's quite amazing it really is part of the dna within the within the city right
1: absolutely yeah the the, the sidewalks walks when you were here were really overflowing with uh rental bikes the share bikes those have now come under control a little bit and there are less and less of them around but there's still a lot of bikes uh, in the city
0: yeah and people people get around quite quite frequently it's quite hairy summer parts in the inner city but the outside was absolutely stunning i remember your wife telling me that that again up until the late 90s she used to cycle across from one end of Beijing to the other in a very short amount of time. I couldn't imagine doing that now. It would take you quite a while to get across the uh, urban sprawl. So what what's the plan? Obviously, we've got the um, adventure bike coming out. W- when will that be ready for purchase and inquiries? Are you taking inquiries now?
1: Yes, we have um, We have information up on our website uh, with some images some preview images of bike and the specs. Uh, so we'll soon be taking pre-orders. We expect it to be ready within three to four months. You know, with the uh, COVID-19, things are still a little bit slow on the manufacturing side. Yeah, cool. But uh, yeah, it'll be. It'll be done by the end of the season. Also, designing a couple of new paint schemes for our existing bikes, and uh, you'll see a lot more events on our bikes and information coming out uh, about the stories behind the bikes and the technology and info on the on the factory and so on. Because the next couple of months we have lots of time to plow into developing the the bike side of the business so sort of a blessing in disguise that the trips are on hold for a little while gives us time to to get all the
0: bike stuff out to focus yeah and that'll be yeah let us know when all that's published as well because i know there's some fascinating stories around just just how high quality the factory is and some of the other work they do as as a as a factory as well so that'll be interesting to hear normally i'd sort of ask you a few travel related questions but china's so vast it's hard to say i think you said the himalayas is your your favorite place within china to to go ride and you recommend that are, are there any parts of china that are on your to do list that that you haven't managed to go out and discover yet and you think that there may be opportunity for tours in in the future
1: yeah gansu province is the next one on my list okay. i think it's probably one of the last provinces to be asphalted over yeah. uh, there's a lot of gravel riding there and i'm looking forward to go and going doing a bit of bikepacking around there and exploring those roads and the the culture there so that's on my radar for later in the year
0: yeah cool and again given how vast china is i mean you you mentioned culture there it's so different from province to province and city to city It's, it's kind of hard to to sort of paint it in in one brush but for people that might be listening that are thinking wow this sounds like there's some amazing things on offer there but are a little bit intimidated or unsure about riding in china and going to china How, what can you say to reassure them in terms of sort of safety and food and amenities and stuff like that
1: um yeah well these days the first of all china is very accessible so you can you know fly into a major center like chengdu or shanghai or beijing and uh you can get onto a onto a fast train and you know within 5 or 6 hours you can be out in the middle of nowhere and nowadays out in the middle of nowhere there's also lots of nice hotels that are springing up so there's great places to stay great things to see and there's a burgeoning new kind of tourist industry that's coming up which makes it relatively easy to to travel i mean it's a bit difficult if you don't have chinese language skills but uh, people out there are super friendly um, and with a translation app you'll get by and you'll definitely have uh, an adventure and it's very safe I and mean, i think you'd have no problem like i said just jumping on a on a fast train going out to some of these beautiful locations and mapping out some stuff on on ride with gps or strava and doing a few days riding, people will be friendly, um, hospitable, and they'll definitely help you out if you get into any uh, any difficulties.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and as someone that's been there a few times, and obviously, I, I, I cycle with yourself there, I'd, I'd echo those sentiments. I think that a lot of my preconceptions around China before I actually went there and spent time there and traveled there were so far removed from what it's really like on the ground how friendly the people are how accessible things are people want to help it's a beautiful place with so much diversity on offer that yeah and, and i know that that Cirque is all about frontier cycling but just generally i think it's a fascinating place to go and see
1: absolutely and of course if you want um, if you want a guide we're always available to uh to help if you're um you know, interested you can come along on one of our trips or if you're just thinking of doing something yourself, just send us an email. We're happy to um, point you in the right direction, you know, and give you some uh, suggestions on where it might be good or who else, which other operators or hostels or whatever to hook up with. Uh, we're happy to to help
0: out. Superb. Shannon, I've already taken up loads of your time. Thank you so much for for joining me. I'm sure you're well, as we've heard, you're super busy with the bike brand. Is have I missed anything? Is there anything else you'd like to add or tell people or have we sort of we've covered quite a lot, I think.
1: Yeah, I think um I think we got it all. It's been great to catch up with you, Jules. Um and you mate. Great to see that uh, Unfound is going along well and uh it's always good to talk with you and share some uh, ideas and stories so hopefully we can continue doing that into the future.
0: Good stuff. We'd love to have you back on and please do share all the links you can with regards to the trips that you're doing, uh, the your bike as well, the frame, how people can size themselves up and, and, and shipping and all those bits and pieces. And if anyone's interested, Shannon honestly is one of those friendly, most helpful people he'll ever meet. So he'll gladly respond to any queries you have with regard to the bike frames or any trips or travel plans to China. And if you're feeling really brave, get yourself signed up. Do we have a name name yet for your your ultra endurance himalayan adventure or race Uh,
1: the himalaya something something race we're still unsure on the middle words
0: work in progress the only thing i actually forgot to mention you when you talked us through that is that it sounded absolutely spectacular and going through some really interesting parts of china but but it also sounded like it was 1800 kilometers uphill
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah there's it's uh yeah there's a fair bit of uphill unfortunately (laughs) the Ride with GPS overestimates the elevation. Because when we when we checked it out recently, it was something like 40,000 meters of climbing. But I think that's overestimated it by a long way. So still working on that final okay.
0: number. still sounds brutal. And there's one more thing that I wanted to just quickly ask you before uh, before you sign off. I know that you mentioned, obviously, riding up in the Himalayas is, is absolutely spectacular. And when you see Everest, and one of the things that I remember from the video you, um you did the first time around with cycling tips is that that descent isn't there like a, a 48 kilometer descent with no cars on and brand new roads if i got that right yeah it's um it's about 40 kilometers
1: and it's yeah just as you go into Everest space camp park so you go from 5100 meters down this epic switchback road to around about 4000 something meters so it's a long gorgeous descent amazing Every time you come around every second bend, you see um, Everest there in right in front of you. So it's pretty, pretty amazing descent.
0: Yeah, absolutely outstanding. And I was going to ask you, what's your favorite descent in the world? It's got to be that one, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
0: that one yeah.
1: That one is the, the best. Oh, there's also another one that's now closed. Um, but we did it in the early days when we went from uh, Tibet into Nepal. That's a 70k descent from 5,000 meters all the way down to like 1,700 meters. Wow. And you, you're changing landscapes which in that descent, you change country, you change climate, you change language, you change smell. It's just phenomenal 70k's on the bike. But in the earthquake in that region, the road was totally destroyed. So unfortunately, oh, they're right. not planning on rebuilding it.
0: Oh, what a shame wow that so, sounds yeah. incredible excellent Look, i'll leave you to it really appreciate your time thank you so much let's get you back on once we got some more more details on the on the event itself but thank you and we'll catch up soon my friend okay Thanks,
1: you have a good day
0: thanks for listening please subscribe to the podcast and more importantly don't forget to download the unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub we'll see you on there